0: What, from a big picture perspective, do you hope to accomplish, man?
1: For me, it's almost like the Robin Hood effect. Because of the the rebates and things that are tied to these drugs and these large corporations that have created, in a sense, a monopoly in the industry, Mm -hmm. Um, how can we take some of that power away and give it back to to the people that we serve?
0: Hey, what's up, guys? Spencer Smith here, host of the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast, sponsored by Pareto Health, ClaimDoc, and PlanSite. Enjoy today's episode. Well, let's get started. Jack, I'm here with Jack Crotty, right? Uh, Um, You're the Director of Business Development for Adaptation. Yep. Nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. We were just coming down, or you were just coming down from Ohio. We were talking about life in Ohio. Uh, Jack, we'll get your backstory, all that good stuff here in a second. But why don't you position for everybody today real quick, what does Adaptation do?
1: So at at its core, um, adaptation really leans into those with specialty disease. Um, So we help source drugs a different way and then kind of hold hold those members' hand um, through the journey towards the path of remission and ultimate goal is containing costs and helping
0: people be healthy. Cool. So, so specialty medication we'll focus on, we'll yep. focus on the sourcing of those medications, laying on a clinical perspective and coaching and counseling through that as well. Correct. And then we're going to talk wearables and data tracking and yep. all, all that good stuff. So uh, hopefully this will be an exciting one uh, for folks, but before we get into kind of the substance of the conversation, I want to get to know you uh, yep. real quick. Uh, obviously we did that over coffee, but let the audience get a chance to do that. So sure. tell us your backstory, Jack, uh, where you're from, all that good stuff, yeah. your career, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So, from Dayton, Ohio, and uh, got a wife, two kids, boy and a girl. Um, Been in the insurance industry for about 10 years. Um, Spent my time on the carrier side, spent about seven years at a broker. Um, And then after that, you know, decided that I wanted to focus on maybe how I can help in a different way. Okay. Um, Noticed that there were some areas inside of the industry that could be done differently. Um, So I wanted to jump on board with some companies that had kind of an innovative mindset. So yeah, um, spent some time at a startup healthcare company, um, and then ultimately here at Adaptation.
0: Well, so did you find yourself, was the broker world straight out of school or no? No. Okay. No. So what did you do prior to that? I think you said, so was I was that at IMED, IMED. Yep. okay. So I you were IMED for about two years. coverage, yep. right? Okay. Vision
1: okay. care. Yeah. So I was on the account management side there. Okay. Um, learned pretty quickly that I'm not an account manager. Um, not organized enough for that. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I, I learned a lot in my time there, um, Obviously, had to get certified and all that in, in the industry, which was helpful, um, but learned kind of the, the dynamics um, of different companies, different brokers, how different people operate. Um, and then when I went to the the broker side, um, we were kind of regionally focused, um, but learned pretty quickly that I, I love the sales side of things.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, Really loved. they give you an opportunity for production when you move yeah. over there? Okay, yep. right. So you were probably, what, 24, 25 at the time, something uh, like that? When or? I went to the broker side, I was at 27. 27, okay. Yeah. But so I, the reason I ask is, like, obviously, that is a, a, a not, or that is a role that a lot of times agencies will sort of build people up and pour into them, you know, fresh, whether yeah. they're fresh out of college or a couple years experience. But talk yeah. to me about the experience yourself of being 27 years old and going out and selling, you know, benefits, services and yeah. things like that. Was it easy to pick up for you? Did it take some time to build momentum? Like, talk to me about Definitely took some time.
1: Okay. Um, I think this industry has there's so many different elements to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's really easy to pick up, you know, on kind of the the main players in the game um, and lean into those. Um, so from like a medical coverage standpoint. Um, but then over time, you start diving in more and more and you see everything that's out there and trying to discern, you know, what's, what's good for a particular client. Um, and I kind of took a step back and thought, you know, I want to learn more about the people that I'm serving. Okay to try to bring them the best option. So kind of rather than looking at it as I need to learn every single thing about every single thing, it's i need to learn what's best for the people that i'm serving
0: so yeah so listening to your clients totally. like figuring out their needs now so, yeah were you a consultant as well right so you yeah. were obviously selling services but so you were staying yep. on board and consulting yep. did you find yourself over time gravitating towards any particular solutions or maybe self-funding or what you know what are the things that as you started to dig in, learn that you were attracted to learning more about pareto health is the manager of the largest employee benefits group captive in the united states and it's also now the main sponsor of the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast. I chose to partner with Pareto Health for three main reasons. Number one, their dedication to improving the world of health benefits. Number two, their mission to reduce volatility and to make self-funding simple for mid-sized employers. And number three, the strength and scale of their program. With over 2,300 member groups and more than $1 billion of stop-loss premium under management, Pareto Health is the most robust solution of its kind in the country, period. Stay tuned for more information because I'm sure I'll be featuring them on an episode of the podcast very soon. Visit Pareto Health at ParetoHealth.com or follow them on LinkedIn to stay up to date on the latest news and developments.
1: You know, I like the self-funded space. Um, The thing that I think always piqued my interest about that was the flexibility that that allows. Um, When you're fully insured, you're kind of... You're stuck with what you've got. Um, and on the full, in the self-funded side, you can really lean in and be creative and bring different solutions to those clients. And that's when I really started recognizing, okay, there's, there's some lapses here that I think I want to lean into and try to learn more and figure out how I can make even more of an impactful difference on those people. Um, and unfortunately, I think on the, on the broker side, you're kind of, your hands are tied a bit.
0: Yeah, you were mentioning that over coffee. And I, I understand some of the constraints working in there. But was, there, was it too limited in scope of what you could do or like, you know, working one employer at a time? Because I think you mentioned wanting to kind of have a broader influence or broader yeah. ability to impact uh, people. What was it that you found limiting about the consulting world? Really, it's
1: at no fault of their own. There's so many kind of next best things out there in mm. the market. hmm Um, that they have to put some, some walls up and really try to figure out, okay, what's legitimate and what's, what's not. Yeah. Um, And I felt, you know, I, I could see something that I I thought might be a good solution, but it couldn't be implemented um, or couldn't be implemented as quickly as I would want because it needed to kind of go through the process of approval and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I I can understand that perspective. I've, I've worked with, sold into agencies for a decade or so. Like, there are things that you look at and you go, this would work. I know this will work. Right but it doesn't mean it gets deployed, right? Whether totally. the employer's not ready for it, maybe like you said, there's a time constraint, there's a capacity constraint or something on the consulting side that even though it does rise to the occasion like we should do this, right. there are other influences obviously that prevented it. Totally. That can be frustrating at times, I totally get that. But also yeah. I think from the business owner's perspective, the people that are running that agency, you, you gotta keep the lights on, you gotta keep people employed, you you maybe sometimes gravitate towards things you know definitely work for the problem at hand. Right. And so you lean into those things that you you've got experience with, because there's a risk, I guess, if you go and chase something and it seems exciting and it doesn't work out. Now you feel like that reflects poorly on you, right? Totally. Okay. So you, you decided after what, a seven year track record or so that you wanted to go into the startup world. And I know obviously that one ultimately didn't pan out, but talk to me about life at a startup versus life at an agency prior to it.
1: Man, I tell you, it's, uh, it's not something that I ever thought that I would be a part of. And after now, little over a year being in it, I love it. It's, uh, you, it, you have to be able to bob and weave and be creative and like no day is the same. Um, it's really for me, taking ownership in something and, and growing something and leaning in and just knowing that at the root of why X company was founded was for the right reason, yeah. And you're a part of that. Um, I really take pride and kind of taking ownership in that. Um, you know, it's there's obviously a lot of uncertainty in the startup world. Sure, um, a lot of risk involved in that, and I mean that's conversations that I had to have with my wife about. Okay, is this something we want to take a risk and, and
0: jump the, into? Because the this. previous one you were at a, before adaptation ultimately didn't it survive. Did right? Yeah. 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 They're, so, they're still they're still around, but they okay. had to scale back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, that's the risk of a startup. I was totally. telling you, I experienced not that exactly, but I went to a startup prior to, to Pareto Health and still fortunately made it. And I got to see it built in real time, but you know, you, right. you go from very large company to new company and you realize like how much work is needs to be oh, yeah. done to actually build an organization yeah. and actually even get your product or whatever your solution is fully market ready and, and being able to adapt to all the uh, challenges that the market actually introduces. It's one thing yeah. like to create a concept. It's another thing to actually deploy it yeah. and then have it work and then see all the variables that you didn't see. You know, right. all, uh, you got to experience it all. It was like yeah. getting a um, in the field MBA essentially. Definitely. And so I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was incredibly influential in right. my career. But you didn't. Leave, it's funny you didn't go back. You didn't revert back to the safety net after no. that. So how how come?
1: You know, I it, I'm sick
0: twisted <laughs> a masochistic, maybe yeah, right? right? Yeah, yeah. No,
1: I, 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 just, I loved it. Okay. Um, so even though the ultimate result wasn't what I was hoping for, um, there's something about this space that just, it, it pulled me in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also being at a startup, you, it allows you to be a disruptor in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our industry is craving some disruption, needs it, and My former employer and adaptation both, I think, deliver on some disruptive services and, uh, I'm excited about what's going Well, that's, what I mean, it's come. cool.
0: I applaud you for continuing down the path, right? I mean, not, not kind of reverting back to the the, yeah. the known uh, quantity in the broker world or whatever to continue right. because obviously you believed in the mission. So let's kind of slide in now, if you will, to adaptation and what you guys do. I know you summarized it a moment ago, but I'm going to dig in now and we'll, we'll kind of ask some questions and position it and all those good things. Sure. But what was it initially that attracted uh, you to what they were doing and why you decided to go work for them?
1: Yeah, so I actually met Ryan, our founder, Probably six or seven years ago um, he came and talked to me and i at the time in the industry I was pretty new i didn't I couldn't fully understand um, really the value and, and what he was what he was trying to accomplish I, I was just too new and we kept in touch over the years and we got in contact between my former employer and, and, and adaptation and uh I asked him kind of wh- where they're at
0: now mm-hmm. And so he, five or six years ago, it was in its infancy, then he was building correct. it this whole time, right? Yep. And so you came back to him and said, all right, where are you guys? And yeah. It sounded like it was yep. getting some traction, right? Yep,
1: okay. totally. I think they, they realize their area of focus and the value that they can bring to, to people. And that's really at the core, my total mission is I just want to help people and what they're doing and what they set out to do is, is just that.
0: What well, didn't you say it was a pretty cool origin story? It was, uh, yeah. it was he it Ryan in the Air Force or something yeah, like that? So yeah. he
1: came out of the Air Force Research Lab um, okay. developing technology for fighter pilots and then thought about how can we bring this to everyone? Um, or at least some, some type of, th- the technology is, is pretty So what you say? It was like a wearable where yeah. it's
0: detecting like their sweat yeah, and like their measuring, response like, stress to stress. Levels and, yeah, 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 yeah. For
1: fighter pilots.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, wild. <laughs> yeah. So
1: he's much smarter than I am. Um, but he he recognized that, you know, there's there's got to be a way that we can take at least a part of this technology and apply it to everyone. And really what we have leaned into with that side of, of things is, you know, how can we help people with specialty disease um, manage their their disease better? And a lot of that has to do with activity and sleep and, and diet. And so now we've taken that technology, applied it to like a Fitbit or a ring, things like that, the wearable device. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's kind of an accountability tool for those people um, to see, okay, you know, I, I do need more sleep.
0: When you said early stages, they were focusing a lot on the wearable technology itself, right. but now that you came in and I guess they were, they didn't, did they have a salesperson prior to you joining? Yep. No. Okay. So you were their first really sales hire. Yep. So what would, what did distribution, what are the conversations look like prior to having somebody dedicated to sales? Cause it's usually that's founder led sales at that point. Right. And they're yep. not necessarily sales and benefits people, right. right. They were te- technology. And so talk to me about kind of pre pre Jack and now yep. what maybe you're doing differently than they did prior. So a lot of
1: what the the sales approach looked like prior to me was leveraging their network out inside of the the Air Force and those, those contracts and things like that. Um, Kind of the, who do you know that we should know conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there was some, some positive momentum that came from that. Um, Obviously bringing me in was a totally different perspective um, coming from the benefit space, Mm -hmm. being a broker, having startup sales experience um, for a health plan, understanding the, the needs, um, and kind of understanding how to talk to brokers differently, um, that they didn't have prior. So they were just, they were doing what they knew how to do and they were doing it well, but they needed, they recognized that in this industry we had to lean into the brokers. Well, there's
0: a natural ceiling, right? I mean, they, they probably did a very effective job and there's something about when a founder tells a story early on, there's a, a guy I've had on the podcast before named TK Cater. And he, he's, he's a SaaS founder, multiple SaaS founder, and then he coaches other ones. And one of the things that he's, I've heard him say, but I've recognized myself is like, you'll get to a certain point by the founder telling the story because right. they know the product intimately. They understand why they developed it and what they set out to do but eventually you're going to reach a ceiling where somebody that's skilled at selling to whoever your distribution channel ultimately is, yeah. is going to be required to get to that next level. And yeah. uh, the you and I both know that the art of selling into brokers and consultants is a much different thing than just open market or direct to consumer sales. Like it's a Certainly. specific buyer persona and the narrative and the way that you position it is different as well. So yeah. so they bring you in to, yep. to achieve that end. Um, so obviously I think you've been there about five, six months now. You, how have you reformed kind of their narrative or the sales process? What have you layered into the equation? I'd love to hear your perspective on yeah. that.
1: So really it's, we have a big emphasis on obviously the, the broker space um, and how we do that. It's kind of step-by-step. Step. So we're, we're new in most people's eyes. Um, so we have kind of the initial introduction. This is who we are. Education sessions, kind of taking deeper dives into how we can apply in different scenarios um, and then really the ultimate goal is allowing that broker to put us in front of their clients yeah. or the broker allowing us to be in front of their clients. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they're, they're getting inundated with so many different things. They have to know, they being the broker, have to know everything about everything. And I don't think it's even fair to the broker to understand mm-hmm. every nuanced detail about adaptation. So know enough to, to bring me to the table. And then let them hear it straight from the horse's mouth Um, so they can ask the questions um, and really understand how we can benefit them and their people.
0: Well, and I've been, I've been always in the mindset and the next question I'll ask you, let's start digging into the product itself and mm-hmm. position the solution. But I've been out of the mindset for a very long time that the better you educate somebody on mm-hmm. what you do, the more likely they are to buy. Like, right. so rather than pushing or selling, 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 it's like, find out who you believe needs this, right? Yeah. Who would benefit from it? Identify that buyer first. Then when you've identified them correctly, then you go educate them. It's a natural conclusion for them right. to say, "I want, I need that, right? Yeah. And so some of it is a skill and sort of qualifying, but the other side is just, if you lean in and put an emphasis on the education itself, That's the it. product or solution will eventually sell itself because right. you've identified the right buyer yeah. first. So let's talk about the solution then because I, the way you described it earlier, it feels like there's three legs to the stool, but I'll let you sort of describe it yep. in totality. But you know, the way that I understand it at least is there's a sourcing uh, component to it. Yep. There is a kind of a clinical component to it, and then there's a data and tracking. So how right. would you describe, if we we're going to go back to this onset of the podcast, how would you describe what you do? And then I'll let you go down whichever path from there.
1: Yeah. So it's really from the employer perspective, kind of unique in that we cater to the full C-suite, including the chief human resources officer. Okay, um, So it's the, the the part of what we do that really I think piques the interest of a CFO and CEO is that pharmaceutical sourcing side. Okay. Um, that's day one savings for the employer. Okay. Um, so we're sourcing those specialty drugs a different way, um, which then step two subsidizes the clinical platform, which is where you start seeing the, the HR folks kind of
0: perk up a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: What do you mean? Now there's support on the back end too, for those people. Yeah. And, um, and then in, in that clinical side, there's the, the, the tech component built into that. So really, I think the day one savings is huge. Um, and it's sometimes pretty drastic savings from the pharmacy side. Yeah. Um, but really, what I call kind of the meat and potatoes behind what we do is the clinical component. So you have a person with um, RA, for instance. Um, so
0: uh, I want to make sure, rheumatoid arthritis, right? right. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah.
1: Um, you've got them kind of navigating on their own today, um, that disease, and really, they, they need help um, understanding their disease, understanding the importance of taking their medication, then understanding other factors that, that, that take place in life, so understanding that they, they need to have movement mm-hmm. um, when some days it might be easier said than done um, for those folks. So, these, the, the clinical side, um, we bring in Ds so clinical pharmacists that understand how the prescriptions and these drugs interact with the human body. Okay. Because um, some of them actually, the symptoms that come along with taking that drug are not great. Yeah. Um, so people get turned off of wanting to even take those drugs. Um, but they they step in and kind of take them by the hand and say, "Let's. what's the next best step we can take? Again, what's the next best step we can take? Okay, we do this. Okay, what's the next best step? So it's taking small baby steps down the path towards remission, which is the ultimate goal for those people.
0: So counseling and coaching being layered in. So I want to, before we go too far down the weeds there, I want to talk about the sourcing because sourcing is something I've covered before. I actually told you, believe it or not, it just coincidentally, uh, Sharks, uh, their their episode came out today, which, you know, you even said you you can work with those guys. I was thinking maybe you were competitive, but you can work with them. But let's talk about sourcing as a category because I don't think I fully spent a whole episode on what it means to source drugs from overseas. Yep. What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? What do the savings look like? And then even, I know this isn't, your entire business model isn't predicated on the sourcing. It just is a way to fund what you guys really do. Yep. But like, I want to talk about sourcing for a second. Yep. So where are you sourcing these drugs from typically? Uh, 99.9% is from Canada. From Canada, okay, yep. okay. And then you, you mentioned specialty before. So it's a yep. focus on specialty drugs only. Yep. What is it about sourcing from Canada? It's just the savings, right? The, the yep. ability to save money, okay. Yep. And what, you know, are we seeing 2, 3, x savings? I mean, I know it varies by drug. Yeah, but. it varies.
1: Okay. Um, I mean, we've, there's been some instances where they're saving 30% on their total pharmacy spend.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay. And so the, you get them from Canada. Yep. What, is the, what does the process look like for a member to be able to receive that drug uh, from Canada?
1: So first off, they have to talk with the um, doctor in Canada um, okay. that's affiliated with our sourcing partner. Um, after they have that conversation, the doctor approves it. Um, within 30 hours that that drug will be at that member's doorstep. Okay. Um, because a lot of these have cold chain and temperature controlled and all that, so it's very important that they get them um, to their door in a, in a short amount of time. Um, and that's a ninety-day supply for that member too.
0: Okay, so they they have to talk to a doctor, but they get the same drug. They get it within thirty hours, yep. um, and it's it gets it's the exact same drug, right? So there's exactly. there's no there's no oh I have to compromise or yep. anything like that. Okay, yep. so the sourcing as a model is something I've heard before, and it's been around. But you said this is really just the way for you guys to fund stool uh, leg number two, which right. is the clinical side. Okay. Yep. So how does that sort of pay for, if you will, stool leg two?
1: Yeah. So the savings that the employer would experience from the, the pharmacy savings, we take a portion of that to fund the clinical side. So really 700 bucks um, of that. So say the drug's $2,000, that employer would pay 2,700 okay. for that drug, which... I mean, what we've seen in most cases is they're already paying 3500 for said drug. Okay. So there's still a savings applied even with that. Um,
0: yeah, but prior to that, even if there's still a savings, they're overpaying and they're not getting totally. any oversight, right? Correct. It's just getting the drug for the member, Correct. right? So are you seeing that you're actually, some of these employers or maybe the consultants are designing incentives to get the member engaged to want to do this in the first place? Do you, do you have plan design incentives and things? Yeah, I mean, I I think – conversations that we've had a
1: lot with the brokers is, you know, we got to take steps to incentivize these people to to move. Um, and one way that we help doing that is, um, so the drug for the member is $0. Okay. There's no copay for that member. So pretty big incentive right there. Um, and then obviously, you know, you've got different options. I mean, you think of like things like smoking cessation or compliant, non-compliant rate for if you fall under this category, um, you have to do this. Um, so some some employers are mandating it. I think they should. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, it's a conversation with between us, the broker and the employer, and and developing whatever feels most. I think culturally um beneficial to to the employer
0: yeah i mean not everybody likes a mandate right even if the mandate is to my benefit i might still be like i don't want to you mandate me doing this i want to go down to cvs and get my drug right Right. i get that but if you i think if positioned properly and i was really digging in with you it's like with the employer saves money the member saves money they get the exact same drug all they have to do is hop on a phone call you know what every three months with a canadian doctor to just to make sure that is done there's no, there's no downside really no. other than, a, you know, f- f- I guess for some reason the drug didn't show up for some reason, cause there was a supply chain issue, but right. I'm sure that's rare or non-existent. So then how could you even make the argument against a mandate? Um, yeah. but so, all right, so let's assume we got a member and they're engaged now. When are, when are you guys being triggered? How are you ultimately involved? If, if let's say a broker has installed us with an employer, when do you guys get involved? How do you find out? PlanSight is a complete game changer in the world of insurance broker. As a broker, you know how time-consuming and error-prone the traditional RFP process can be. But what if I told you there's a better way? PlanSight is the only end-to-end RFP solution on the market made specifically for benefits agencies. It's like having a superpower that gets you an average of eight to 10 hours back per employer renewal per year. And the best part? PlanSite supports all carriers, all funding types, and all group sizes for over 20 different benefits. If you're ready to make your RFP process faster, more efficient, and more profitable, it's time to call PlanSite. Visit PlanSite.com now to book a free demo and discover the future of insurance renewals.
1: So day one, okay. um, ultimately all we need is RX claims. Um, we'll pinpoint who those members are that fall under really the, the disease state and the drugs that we serve. Um, and then we'll begin our outreach to those, to those members that we've identified. And then, so that's day one beginning anew. Okay. um, as time goes on, it's quarterly outreach. Um, so we review the claims quarterly, uh, cause they're probably, and, and maybe, or probably is somebody that's, um, been diagnosed since the onset and now we need to engage with that member too. So it's really, it's constant communication, constant, um, monitoring of the rx claims but really from the employer side there's no no real involvement okay um unless they want to be involved um but yeah i mean it's it's just constant outreach and trying to engage those members um letting them know hey we're here um we're here to help this is who we are this is how we operate And, and then Really, again, that's when the kind of the handholding experience. Yeah, goes.
0: and so then, that, so what? Let's say now you've identified them. I think you said what? Maybe five to ten percent of members on a, one to two percent. 1% to two percent. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. So one to two percent on a population, right? So uh, let's call it five hundred. Maybe yep. that's five or. 10 people might fit into what you do. So we've identified them through the the data, the claims data. Now we've gotten triggered. Now there's outreach to the member, correct? Um, So let's assume we go on the path. They say, yep, we're sourcing their drugs. When does the clinician get involved? Like at what step of the day one? Day one. Okay. So they're already involved, even if the drug hasn't been alternatively sourced just yet. Okay, cool. And so as they're going through, they're talking how regularly to to Uh, a member? Once a month. Okay. It's really at the discretion of the member. Um, but once a month is, is typical. So in the, in the example with like rheumatoid arthritis or RA, what drug is typical for that? Is that like a Humira? Humira, Humira. Yeah. Okay. So, so we've sourced Humira less expensively, but now my PharmD clinical coach is, mm-hmm. is guiding me through the process. And so what are the, like some of the lifestyle or some of the kind of behavior stuff that they're looking at in addition to the drug itself?
1: Yeah. So it's really, and for, for RA, it's not as much okay. diet, although sometimes, I mean, there's foods that
0: maybe bad example maybe there's a better
1: example well no i mean i I think activity and movement is incredibly important for people with ra um so how can we develop a plan to get them moving when they probably don't want to move because they're they're in pain they hurt Mm -hmm. Um, they also understand that the drugs make them feel like crap um humira for instance is very tough on the stomach so what can we maybe eat to help curb that a bit Gotcha. Um, So it's just small little tweaks here and there. Um, And then again, like I said, like just the tiny little baby steps. We're not trying to bring the end goal to them day one and be like, okay, you have to do this, 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 and and this. It's one step at a time. Okay. Because these people already don't feel well. They need to take their time and get into that point.
0: So well, how not, do you deal with a, like a kind of a semi-resistant person? Let's say they're resistant yeah. simply because I feel like crap and I'm just, just making it through the day is, is a win for me, right? Yeah. So like, how do you, you know, still find a way for opportunities to have little wins in situations like that where somebody's a little more resistant or hesitant?
1: I mean, there was, there was one member that her goal was that was discussed by the Farm um, the D, the coach, just to give up M&Ms as her snack. It was that small, that small. Okay. And she did. And OK, then what's the next thing we can do? And mm-hmm. she's she's lost quite a bit of weight, which is another benefit, um, especially when if you're dealing with RA, if you are overweight, it's even more stress on your on your joints. Okay. And um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's really it, it depends member to member, patient to patient, but it's just one tiny step at a time.
0: It's so credible though, just having focused attention and have somebody there to sort of counsel and guide them, like Mm -hmm. finding those little baby steps to take, right? And those baby steps that over, uh, you know, a a previous guest of mine said that 1% every day stacks. Eventually, if you make 1% incremental changes every day, there's a huge difference if you zoom out and look at a long enough timeline. And I'm sure that holds true in a situation like this. That's exactly right. Where does the data side come in, though? So let's the third leg of that stool is really the wearable. And you said, you were telling me over coffee, you kind of kind of pivoted away from the overemphasis on that as the kind of primary thing you do, yep. but it's still an important thing of what you for do. Sure. So what type of data are you guys collecting from these wearables?
1: Yeah. So really it's it focused on three things. Well really two, cause you can't track diet from a wearable, but it's movement and sleep. Okay. Um, so we, we all know how important that is, um, for everybody, mm-hmm. regardless of if you're healthy or you have one of these diseases. Um, but it's kind of an accountability tool really, because, with that wearable the pharmaceutical or the, uh, the the clinician gets access to that data and say at their monthly meeting or their monthly review they'll say how have you been sleeping or how's your exercise been and they can see right there on their screen whether they're telling the yeah, truth or yeah. not yeah, yeah. um you know it's it's a difference in that i think with a normal primary care doctor or specialist those members might see that doctor two, three times a year. Mm-hmm. They're put on the drug, and then it's like, we'll check in in a few months and see how you're doing. And
0: then all their you, you activity is self reported, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And There's
1: no accountability. Yeah. No, I mean, unless, no, I'm not, this is a blanket statement, but I'd say nine times out of 10, people aren't in, like fully truthful mm-hmm. with that kind of, mm-hmm. um, with their answers there. Um, like, oh, do you get eight hours sleep night? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. night. Yeah, 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 every night. <laughs> um and reality that's probably not true right so it's again just that accountability um and helping them reach their goals which again the goal is is remission
0: and what kind of wearables i think you said Fitbits yeah, fitbit and ring. or the aura ring you said yep. you guys used to do apple watches but most people yep. just wanted an apple, an apple watch, watch. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> fair enough i probably yep. would have been the same way now are you providing these to yep. them okay yep. No so cost. How how's that work do you get like kind of wholesale pricing from yeah the... we have partnerships with them and that's cool yep. yeah so yeah. that's
1: again another incentive to get people to jump in because now they're getting something for free.
0: Yeah. And then, so where is that data feeding? Like, it's one thing to have it, but what, is it going back into a system you built or, yeah. or what?
1: Okay. Yep. It's going back into a system that we built. They can see it on this dashboard that we
0: created. Um, and then
1: they have access to it as well as the, the pharmacist. Yeah. And the, so the, the pharmacist
0: is using that data and that's where the accountability comes in. Correct. Like they're reviewing it together. Oh, it looks like you haven't been sleeping as well. What's going on, right? right. It's giving them some data to dig into. Yeah. So again, modify behavior as a result. Yeah. And so what does the long-term look like though? Um, so let's say I'm adhering to my medication, I'm working with my coach, I've made some you know, lifestyle changes, and then now I'm just sort of in this sort of maintenance phase, if yeah. you will, or okay. So what are some of the things that over the course of one or two years that I'm still doing with my coach to yeah. make sure I'm deriving additional benefit? Really, a lot of it is, is that reporting.
1: Um, you know, I think over time, We want to just ensure that if if people have reached remission, they stay there. Okay. Um, It's, I mean, again, it varies case by case, but I think once they've reached remission, it's not necessary that they would have to meet with that clinical pharmacist once a month. Yeah, They could spread that out and just keep it more of like a regular, I don't know, quarterly kind of touch point. Um, But it's just monitoring and, and, and making sure that you're still really going through those same behaviors that you've picked up over the past year or two years.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe perhaps without some accountability, people might relapse or, you know, not be as adherent to their medication or it's not, you know, top of mind anymore. But that probably should show up in the outcomes, right? Or the way they're feeling or their, you know, movement data and things like that. And then like, is this for, I guess I didn't even ask this question, but I presume it's self-funded employers, right? You have to be self-funded, okay. Is there a kind of a size range of employer that works best or, you know, anything like that? Really 500 belly buttons and above. Okay. What, what is it about that level that works so well? I mean, is that a rule or is this? No, it's, okay. I mean,
1: we, we can go down to really any cell funded and employer. Um, but again, with that percentage, only one to 2% of, of that population really being um, impacted by these specialty diseases, it makes more sense um, from our side because the savings on the pharmace- pharmaceutical side is much greater when you have more people that are eligible for the plan. Sure. So it makes more sense to, to roll something out. It's not as impactful if you're dealing with one person. The savings just might not justify um, from the employer side to, to make a switch to, to leverage our services. Makes sense.
0: And now are you typically going like you're selling a lot to the broker channel, which we touched on, but I think you said you also work with PBMs too, yeah. right? Like, so how does that work? You, know, yeah. you, you in conjunction with an, another PBM.
1: So really it's looking for PBMs that um, you know, do pass-through rebates, no spread price, pricing. Um, PBMs that are kind of forward-thinking in their approach mm-hmm. and whose values align well with ours. Um, it's difficult to, on our side, to, to pull away um, a lot of these medications because of the rebates that are tied to them. Yeah. So a lot of the, the larger PBMs are kind of resistant. Um, so I think it's of the utmost importance to partner with those PBM partners, the smaller ones, um, that we can really make an impactful change together. Uh, makes for a seamless experience from the employer side. The broker has less of a headache. Because you're getting
0: like automated feeds and things like that. Correct. From the, okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's
1: not pulling teeth to try to get that claims yeah. data and all that. So.
0: That's, a, that's the biggest thing. And you know, I've experienced it firsthand. You've obviously experienced it firsthand. When you're in the startup world, when you're selling into consultants, the amount of noise that they have to parse. And I, mm-hmm. I regularly say this. I mean, the, you said it too. They're, they're, it's impossible for them to know everything that they're supposed to okay. know. So just kind of making sure life is simple for them. The more that these point solutions fragment, and they probably all on their own, if they do what they're supposed to do, they have merit to them. Right. That doesn't mean that you, you can have a hundred different solutions in one single employer's no. plan. It's impossible to manage. And so knowing that you can, can work well with a kind of that pass through style PBM mm-hmm. to make that experience more seamless, it just makes it a lot easier to bring you guys into the fold because totally. again, e- even one minor impediment or objection to you being involved is, oh, I've got another vendor. Well, boom, that, that yep. objection goes away at yeah. this point. So kind of long, I know you've only been there about six months or so, but like the long game here, right? What's the, yeah. what does the future look like? for you guys? What are you hoping to accomplish over the long haul here at Adaptation? ClaimDoc is a medical claim auditing and member advocacy company. We provide fiduciary services to employer-sponsored benefit plans, allowing them to create an environment where we ensure that the benefit plans are being charged in a fair and reasonable basis. My business is basically people, and it become a real simple transition. We thought it was going to be far more complex. I've saved we'll say hundreds of thousands of dollars. I could not say enough about ClaimDoc.
1: Yeah, I think two things for for me specifically that I'm thinking of, one is identifying um, really good broker partners, brokers I call adaptation brokers, Mm -hmm. um, and that's individuals inside of a firm um, really that are forward-thinking, innovative, um, wanting to bring new solutions to the clients that they serve. Um, And then, again, I think as equally important is finding those strategic PBM partnerships. Um, I think if we can do that effectively, we can begin to grow at a much faster clip and, you know, I think help as many people as we Well, do. some
0: of these things too, is it takes time, right? To build the infrastructure, to build the software, to understand your messaging, right. you know, just to find all the pieces that you didn't expect on the front end. And then something becomes like really, really market ready. And so I think that's why you're here. Obviously that's yeah. the fact that you guys have had some traction yep. um, now. And the market's probably also receptive at this yeah. point, right? Like if the timing is really good. I know everybody's talking about the CAA, there's a lot of, you know, sort of focus on transparency and pricing, hospital pricing and gag clauses and all these things that have persisted for a long time. There just hasn't been focus, And so now as employers are reacting to that, as consultants are reacting to that, their obligations as fiduciaries and transparency, like all of that's coming to a head where it makes things like this an obvious thing to lean into, right? Become more and more of a no-brainer. So I know it's still early, but maybe we'll zoom out real quick and we'll kind of land the plane here on the podcast. But Big picture of healthcare, you, you've said a couple times that you want to do good. Like yeah. the things you want to have impact, you want to have influence, you want to do, do good in this industry. So what, from a big picture spe- perspective, do you hope to accomplish, man? You know, I, I was thinking about kind of that question
1: um, over the past couple of days. And really, for me, it's almost like the Robin Hood effect. Okay. Um, you know, it, there's, because of the, the rebates and things that are tied to these drugs, and these large corporations that have created, in a sense, a monopoly in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we take some of that power away and give it back to the to the people that we serve?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I, I think it's of the utmost importance to lead with um, our value and humility, and understanding that these people today. These members, these patients that are dealing with whatever the disease is, and again, we just we focus on one small element. Um, they're being underserved today. And if we can help just one person at a time in a positive way and help them to be well, that's a win. Yeah. And if we can get a bunch of those small little wins, we're, we'll be... We'll be in good that's shape. to
0: say like if you could do it at scale right which is totally. really the key but I mean I, I'm with you there too and I think what one of the overarching themes of our discussion over the last couple of hours on and off camera was incentives right yeah having the proper incentives in place for all parties that um, everybody benefits from the outcome mm-hmm. and nobody is incentivized to act in not a malicious way but in a way that's selfish right or right. Uh, they're being incentivized based on compensation arrangements that cause them on balance to choose path A versus path B when path A is more towards them than less towards the client themselves. Right. right? And so if we can just shine a light on those things and make it simpler for people to understand that, and then be forthcoming, this is the way we get paid. And this is why we get paid this way. And this is why my incentives are set up here instead of over here. So I am focused on your client or your patient or your member Mm -hmm. there of the utmost importance to us. And I think if we all sought to do that, right, I think the industry at large would be, would be better. And that's why you and me and, a bunch of other people are having these types of conversations publicly. It's right. just to to talk about that openly yeah. so that more people are choosing what I would say the quote-unquote right behavior to have. Right. So why don't we do this, Jack? Closing thoughts, man. I, mean, I know we covered a lot of ground in, in yeah. you know 45 minutes or so, but kind of closing thoughts for the folks that have listened thus far.
1: Yeah, you know, I just, I want people to know that um, we are a resource that's out there um, that's maybe a little bit different than, than what they've heard of before. Um, I think there's help on the clinical side, um, there's help on the, obviously the sourcing and and the the pharmacy side. We're bringing a package to the table that includes both of those elements. Um, and you know, I think there's a lot of good noise around the industry today. Like you just mentioned that people are are desperate for, for something different. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think you kind of strike while the iron's hot. Um, I think we're, we're sitting in a good spot today and just looking forward to, you know, kind of growing this thing and, Again, I I sound like a broken record, but just helping people in the best way that we can. So I I said, you know, take the next best step from the, the member perspective. And that's kind of what we want to do as an organization.
0: Cool. Well, I love it, man. Why? I wish you luck. Obviously Thank I was you. excited to get to feature you again. Thanks for coming down from Ohio and, hey, and telling your story, man. I suspect this won't be the last time we talk, but Absolutely. best of luck to you, man. Go build this. I know it's right now we're shooting. It's in the middle of fourth quarter. So I know it's crazy. Yep. Uh, this will come out probably at the turn of the year, but cool. uh, I hope you guys uh, do well, man. Thanks, and man. tell everybody I said hello. I sure will. Appreciate right. it. Bye.